I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Lurkers, welcome to this week's episode. I have returned from the wilds of New York and a very busy Sasquatch Festival. I was able to chat with some of you who stopped by, and that was awesome. So thank you for taking the time to stop by and say hello. I absolutely love meeting lurkers. Sorry for the delay in this episode. But being away from home for four days while relaxing and stress-free while I'm gone means it's busy and stressful catching up with all the things that are here waiting for me when I get home. It's the one downfall of vacation. You need a vacation from your vacation is kind of how it works. Not only that, but it is now the month of October And I am behind in getting Halloween decorations out, so there's a lot of that going on. It's slowly coming together. I have like seven tombstones that I have made drying in the garage currently. Everyone will be happy when they are out of the garage so that they can walk freely through there. So anyway, for this week's episode... We're going to be talking about the ghosts of Antietam Battlefield, which is located outside of Sharpsburg, Maryland. It's also not far from the South Mountain Battlefields that we mentioned in the Haunted Trail, Maryland episode. Antietam is a battle of the American Civil War, and it is considered the deadliest one-day battle in American history. In September of 1862, General Robert E. Lee invaded Maryland. General Lee wanted to shift the focus of the war from the South into the North. He hoped that Confederate victories in the North would lead to the capture of the Union capital, Washington, D.C. It could also help sway political elections and have European countries recognize the Confederate States of America as legitimate. Before the battle at Antietam, there was a Union victory at the Battle of South Mountain, which, as I mentioned, we talked about in episode 111. Then there was a Confederate victory at Harper's Ferry, and Lee decides to make one last stand. Lee selects a strategic position along Antietam Creek that offers an ideal spot for artillery and is crossable only at three different bridges. So Lee's men sit and wait for McClellan's Union troops to arrive. On September 17, 1862, McClellan attacks. The battle began at dawn. Repeated Union attacks and Confederate counterattacks went back and forth across Miller's cornfield and the West Woods. Union General Hooker sees thousands of his men felled in the cornrows where... He said every stalk of corn in the northern and greater part of the field was cut as closely as could have been done with a knife, and the slain lay in rows precisely as they had stood in their ranks a few moments before. 
Despite the Union's advantage in sheer numbers of men, Lieutenant General Stonewall Jackson's Confederate forces hold their ground near the Dunker Church. Towards the center of the battlefield, Union attacks against an area known as the Sunken Road pierce the Confederate center and after a bloody struggle for this key defensive position. Unfortunately for the Union, this advantage in the center is not followed up with further advances and eventually the Union defenders must abandon their position. In the afternoon, the third and final major assault by Major General Ambrose E. Burnside's Ninth Corps pushes over a stone bridge at Antietam Creek. Today, it's known as Burnside's Bridge. Just as Burnside's forces begin to collapse the Confederate right, Major General A.P. Hill's division charges into battle after a long march from Harper's Ferry, helping to drive back the assault and saving the day for the Army of Northern Virginia. There were more than 22,000 casualties at the Battle of Antietam, almost 3,600 dead and 1,800 missing or captured. During the night, both armies tend their wounded and consolidate their lines. In spite of his diminished ranks, Lee continues to skirmish with McClellan on September 18th while removing his wounded south of the Potomac River. Late that evening and on September 19th, after realizing that no further attacks are coming from McClellan, Lee withdraws and slips back across the Potomac into Virginia. McClellan sends Major General Fitz John Porter to mount a cautious pursuit, which is repulsed at the Battle of Shepherdstown. I I never knew there was a battle in Shepherdstown, or if I did, I don't remember. While the Battle of Antietam is considered a tactical draw, President Lincoln claims a a strategic victory. Lincoln has been waiting for a military success to issue his preliminary emancipation proclamation. He takes his opportunity on September 22nd. The proclamation, which vows to free the slaves of all states still in rebellion as of January 1st, 1863, will forever change the course of the war and the nation by marrying the Union cause with an attack on the institution of slavery. Hesitant to support a pro-slavery regime, England and France declined to form an alliance with the Confederate States of America. After McClellan fails to pursue Lee on his retreat south, Lincoln loses faith in his general. Weeks later, he names Burnside commander of the Army of the Potomac. And that concludes our history lesson today. But like I've said... The history of a place often holds the key to a location's haunting, and without a doubt, the Battle of Antietam is behind the hauntings in the area. Also, a quick heads up, I do have at least one EVP for this episode. And it's kind of a strange one, but you'll find out. The morning battle at Antietam shifted direction several times, and it eventually became centered in the middle of Lee's line at a country road which divided the fields of two local farmers. On the day of the battle, it served as a sunken rifle pit for two Confederate brigades. Lee ordered the center of the line to be held at all costs. This task fell to Colonel John B. Gordon, the commander of the 6th Alabama. Gordon allowed the Union troops to approach to within yards of the road before he gave the order to fire. 
The Union commander fell at once. His men wavered and then retreated, only to charge the Confederate line five more times. The Union continued to try and overrun the sunken road, unit after unit falling back under the fire from the Confederate position. Finally, though, the Union troops could fire down upon the Confederates, and now the once seemingly excellent position became nothing more than a death trap. It was described like shooting animals in a pen, and the road was soon to be known as Bloody Lane, because it rapidly filled with bodies two and three deep. The slaughter at the Bloody Lane became one of the most memorable and tragic events of the battle, and perhaps even the entire war. One of the participants in this part of the battle was the 69th of New York, known as the Irish Brigade. The Irish Brigade was full of characters. Brawling was common, as was heavy drinking. I mean, they're Irish, and I say that with love because uh, I'm only second-generation American on my mom's side. My grandmother came here from Ireland, so it's just kind of a joke. I've lost my place. They brought along their own priest to war, and he conducted mass for them on the Sabbath and on the eve of battles. The Union troops attacking the road were in serious trouble when they saw the emerald banner of the Irish Brigade appear on the horizon. The Irish announced their arrival with the sounds of drums and volleys of fire as they attacked the Confederate position. They launched their assault, cheering loudly, while their priest, Father Corby, rode among the men offering prayers and absolution. There is a statue of Father Corby located in Gettysburg, in case you're interested. I don't know if there's another statue of him anywhere else, but I know there is definitely one in Gettysburg. As the Irish Brigade charged, they screamed loudly and shouted a battle cry. It sounds like Fa-a-bala. That's how it's said. Fa-a-bala. It means clear the way. And it's spelled really funky because it's Gaelic. So, anyway. The sound of weaponry filled the air, and the men on both sides fell. Father Corby, who seemed to be oblivious to the gunfire, dodged across the field and administered last rites to the fallen Irishmen. The Irish Brigade fought fiercely, and they fell in huge numbers. They fired all of their ammunition, and then collected what they could from the dead and wounded, and fired that too. Eventually, their cries of Fa-a-bala became fainter, and the Irish Brigade lost more than 60% of their men. Over the years, the Sunken Road, now, as I mentioned, called Bloody Lane, has become known as one of the most eerie places on the Antietam battlefield. Strange things have taken place here, which led many to believe that events of the past are still being replayed today. Reports over the years tell of the sounds of phantom gunfire echoing along the sunken road, and the smell of smoke and gunpowder, which seems to come from nowhere. One man reported seeing several men in Confederate uniforms walking down the old road. He assumed they were reenactors, present at the park for some upcoming event, until they abruptly vanished. And ghostly apparitions are not the only things experienced here. 
Perhaps the most famous story of the sunken road involves a group of boys from the private school called Madonna in Baltimore. The boys toured the battlefield, and they ended the day at Bloody Lane. They were allowed to wander around and think about what they had learned that day. They were asked to record their impressions for a history assignment, and some wrote brief remarks and poems. But the comments that got the most attention from the teacher were written by several boys who walked down the road to the observation tower. The observation tower is located where the Irish Brigade charged the Confederate line. The boys described hearing strange noises that became shouts coming from the field near the tower. Some of them said that it sounded like a chant, and others described the voices as though someone were singing a Christmas song in a foreign language, a song like Deck the Halls. Most specifically, they described the words as sounding like the part of the song that goes, Fa-la-la-la-la. The singing came strongly and then faded away. What the boys heard were the long-ago cries of Fa-a-ba-la, which st- still echoes across the fields. One night, a group of reenactors made their way out to Bloody Lane to spend the night. Shortly after they settled in, one after another, they began to leave, some slowly, some more rapidly, but all of them complaining of some sort of weirdness that had descended upon them, from the auditory anomalies to sensing something just not right. There was only one reenactor left in the field, and he was there laughing at his friends, calling them derogatory names, swearing he was there to stay the night. His friends were gathered about their cars when they heard a blood-curdling scream come from the darkened fields. Their fellow reenactor ran out of the darkness, out of breath and terrified. It was several minutes before they could get him to calm down and relate what happened. He was laying down flat on his back chuckling to himself about his friends leaving him for some imagined sound or feeling. Suddenly, he began to hear strange, unearthly sounds. Whispers of moans close to his ears, the rustling of grass between his arm and chest. All his imagination, he told himself, until the rustling turned into the vision of a human arm rising from the darkened, blood-soaked earth beside his torso. Frightened by the bizarre vision, he tried to rise. The mangled arm and hand twisted around to press down on his chest and pin him to the ground. At his scream, the arm let him go. That's a big old no. One time we were out at Antinum and my brother wanted to take a picture of him laying in the bloody lane like he was a dead soldier. Maybe I will find it and post it online. He doesn't have Facebook, so he'll never know. But thanks, but no thanks. I have no desire to lay in there. I've walked the bloody lane. It's really kind of a solemn place. It's a very pretty battlefield. Um, no, I, I would not want to spend the night there. Another haunted location is the Pry House. The Pry House is a brick farmhouse that was used as McClellan's headquarters during the battle and afterwards was a hospital for some generals. Union General Israel Richardson was carried there after receiving a serious abdominal wound. His wife made the long journey from Michigan to care for him. Though the doctors thought he would recover, an infection set in and the general was dead within a few days. 
the house was eventually purchased and preserved by the National Park Service. In the mid-1970s, the house caught fire. By the time the fire department arrived, the fire had made its way to the second floor, which then collapsed in upon the first. The firemen were put in a quandary, trying to determine if they should attempt a rescue of a woman who seemed to be moving around, silhouetted by the fire, on the second floor. They were about to do the heroic thing when their captain waved them off, reminding them that there was no second floor remaining. The event could be ignored and explained away with the excuse that the firefighters were under stress during the fire. But, some time later, two park rangers on patrol passed the Pry House, and they saw something as well. The interior at the time was still gutted by the fire. As they sat looking at the old hospital on the small hill, they were struck by the appearance of a womanly figure moving or floating past one of the windows. They discussed whether they should exit the patrol car to investigate for a prowler, except that it had been impossible. They discussed whether they should exit the patrol car to investigate for a prowler, except that it would have been impossible. The figure moved past a second floor window, an impossibility for a living prowler, since the second floor was still not in existence. When the house was undergoing its renovation after the fire, workers also had run-ins with the ghostly woman. At one point, the Park Service had to hire new contractors to do the work because the previous ones became too scared after seeing the ghost woman, and they refused to return. People have also heard footsteps walking in and around the house. Perhaps it is Mrs. Richardson, still there looking after her husband. Another haunted area is Burnside's Bridge, known during the battle as Roarback Bridge. Here, General Ambrose Burnside pushed the Confederates back after many defeated attempts. Many soldiers were buried quickly around the bridge in unmarked graves. Visitors have reported seeing balls of blue light moving around and the sound of drums playing cadence as it fades away. Ghostly forms of soldiers have been seen and gunfire is heard along with the smell of burnt gunpowder. The Dunker Church, another local landmark that figured in the battle, has also had reports of people seeing ghost soldiers haunting it. It's a small country church and during and after the battle it was used as a field hospital and for a time was the scene of a ghastly mass of wounded and dying. Soldiers' limbs were hacked off by the score, without anesthesia, and many men died in agony there. Besides the phantom said to roam its bloodied floorboards, eerie lights have been spied around Dunker Church at night. And I do have an EVP that was recorded there several years ago that I want to play for you. This actually was one that my cousin and my aunt recorded on one of their trips. And I'm going to play it for you first, and then I'll tell you what we always have thought that it said. So here's that EVP. Okay, so we thought it said, or sounded like it said, die, piggy, die. Which is a very strange thing for somebody to be saying, and I don't really know if there's a historical 
reason for it to be said, uh, but let me play it for you again. So that is the EVP from Antietam. If I can find it, I may include another one. Last but not least is the haunting of the St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Sharpsburg, Maryland. The church was used as a hospital after the battle. Today, residents near the church hear screams and moans of, of people in pain. Others have seen a strange illuminated white mist in the bell tower. There are no lights in the tower to illuminate anything. So I'm going to play a couple of EVPs for you now before we end the episode. I'm just going to play them one after the other for you. So here you go. Did it die here? Did it die here? And with that, that's going to do it for this episode. Again, I apologize for this being late. And also, it's a little bit shorter than a typical episode. But because I have been traveling and unpacking and attempting to get back into the swing of things, it's uh, quite hectic here at the moment. Remember, you can find Lurk wherever it is that you listen to your other favorite podcasts or at lurkpodcast.com where you'll find episodes along with social media links. If you like what you hear, tell a friend, and if you have a minute, please consider giving us a five-star review. And until next time, keep lurking.